Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. John 10. Now let me um, set up the context of this a little bit. Last week uh, we focused on the first part of of John 10, and it was uh, an extended illustration, basically, from Jesus uh, of the the good shepherd and his sheep and that relationship. Now, he's going to refer back to that in this passage that John records, but as you will see from the very beginning of this passage, it was actually at a later time. So uh, we, we don't want to conflate those, those two, but they are intertwined in terms of some of the, the theology that he gives to us. So let's pick up in John chapter 10 with verse uh, 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for the good work that we're going to stone you but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken? Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let's bow together. Lord, we would simply ask that you would teach us and move us and mold us and open our hearts and our ears to you today, now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, let's talk about this uh, setting a little bit. It says in verse 22, at, the, at that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Uh, now this, is, this has been John's pattern when he uh, gives an event, when he talks about something that's going on, he will often place it with things that were going on in in their world so that you can kind of tell what time of year it is and and, uh, know more about the setting. We've seen Jesus at at the Passover. We've seen Jesus at uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And now, the Feast of Dedication. Now, I know... You Old Testament scholars are saying, wait a minute, where's the Feast of Dedication in the Old Testament? You were thinking that, right? Just (laughs) nod like, yeah, that's what I was thinking, you know. Well, it's not in the Old Testament. In fact, where, where you find that is in what we call the intertestamental period, and that is just what it says. It's at, after the end of the Old Testament and before the beginning of the New Testament, they started this feast. It was uh, a celebration of a of, of victory which enabled them to again worship in the temple. It is sometimes called the Feast of Lights. Now, you, it's going to get a little bit more familiar here in a minute. One of the things they were celebrating was a, a miracle where, where uh, they only had uh, enough oil for one day, but it miraculously lasted for eight days. Yeah, that's, it's what today's Jews celebrate as Hanukkah. And that, that's always uh, in our day. Uh, around Christmas, so uh, you'll 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 see the the menorah and so on, and them celebrate the Feast of Lights. That's what they were celebrating here. Now, so they, he kind of gets cornered. Then, verse twenty-four. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, "How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly." Now, every week here, we're talking about how he (laughs) has told them who he is. Every single week, we point that out. But I will say this. He was careful publicly in using the term Christ or Messiah. Now, why would he be? 
Well, it's because they, they had a whole different impression of what the Messiah was going to be, what the Christ, God's anointed one, was going to uh, come and to do. Their understanding was that he's going to come and he will put us back in power. The Romans will be taken over or driven out when our Christ, when the Messiah comes. And so he had uh, not used that term a great deal in public. They didn't have the concept that, that the Messiah was what the Old Testament said, that he would be the suffering servant that he would come and suffer. That wasn't anywhere in their mind. But he told them plainly who he was again and again. He's about to explain how he has revealed himself. Look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you didn't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe because you're not one of my sheep. So he's basically telling them there's two ways that I have told you who I am. And this is, we've, we've always got to uh, see, well, how's the Scripture apply to us? Well, if you're here and you're wondering who this Jesus is, see what the Scripture says, but here's a couple of ways that he showed himself when he walked the earth. One is, he said, you all have witnessed my works. You've seen what I've, I've done. Jesus had plainly showed them who he was by his works, and they still didn't believe him. Now, basically, we see this all the time. Let me give you an example. Something uh, happens, and it turns out good, and then what's the response of many people? Well, a lot of times Christians will say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for, for doing that. But let me give you some responses and see if they sound familiar to you. Maybe see if you can even hear yourself saying any of these things. Something good happens and someone says, man, that was lucky. We can thank our lucky stars. Or thank heavens for that. Or thank goodness. Now, look, some of you may use that and never really think about it. That's why I'm saying, let's think about it. What, what's happening when, when we do that? Well, we're basically uh, personifying something. We're saying there's something out there called luck that we need to thank. Or there's something out there called goodness that I need to thank. Really? Really? Bottom line is those, those are taking the place of 
who we should be thanking. And that's what's happening here with Jesus. He was showing the works of God, and they were either ignoring them or attributing them to, to something else. He said, that's, that's why you're not recognizing me. Look on down in terms of uh, the proofs at verse 32. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? There again. Just think about the works recorded in the Gospel of John that they ha had seen. He's saying, okay, are you going to stone me for turning water into wine, if you knew about that? Or healing the official's son? Or are you going to stone me for healing this paralytic that was by the pool? Are you going to stone me for, for healing the man that was born blind? Or are you going to stone me for feeding 5,000 hungry men and women and children on top of that, maybe 20,000 people. Is that what you're going to stone me for? Then down in verse 37. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you, you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. So basically what he's saying is, look at what I've done and then decide. Because I've shown you plenty of works. Now the second way he's been playing about who he was was through what I would call the outward call. Let's do some more theology here. Uh, there is what we would call the outward call and the inward call. The outward call is any time the gospel is preached, any time uh, Jesus is, is faithfully spoken of, that's the outward call. Everyone is to receive the outward call. That is our goal as a church and as uh, uh, those who are in the kingdom, we are to give the outward call to everyone. But only those who the Holy Spirit gives a new heart receive the inward call. That's what we call regeneration. And that's what he was talking about last week when he said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. That's the inward call. I've heard it said that it's, it's our job to, to get the, the, the gospel to hear, to the ears, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to get it to the heart. That's the difference between the outward and the inward call. Now let's look at what Jesus does for his sheep. He says this in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We spent a good bit of time on this last week. Basically, he's using the idea of the shepherd that would go and would call his sheep by name. 
they would recognize the voice of the shepherd and their name. And they would then follow. So what we have here is right in the middle of this uh, confrontation that Jesus, he's surrounded by these people that are trying to pin him down. Right in the middle of this, he gives comfort to his people. He gives comfort to his sheep. And we need these reminders often. Look, look what he says in verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. First of all, this is a claim that only God can make to give any kind of life. And he's talking about eternal life. Now, everyone has a soul that lasts forever. But here, what he's talking, when Jesus talks about eternal life and not perishing, he's saying, your soul, if you're one of my sheep, will be in that best place, never, never in the place of punishment. There's not a time where you've got to go burn off your sins or do anything like that because what Jesus did on the cross was enough. Those without Christ will last forever, but they will experience eternal suffering. I don't ever want us to take this statement of I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Never take that for granted. This week when we were talking about this in staff, I said we, we need to just stop and think about that sometimes. We, we use these, those words so easily and so frequently that if we don't stop and think and meditate on that, we might not appreciate it for what it is. Eternal Life with Christ. I want you to think about the best moments you've experienced in your life. And then multiply that by millions and know that eternal life with Christ will be better than that. That's what we're talking about. Sometimes we act like death for the believer is the worst thing that can happen, and we ought not to. It's not the worst thing. This week we had two memorial services, two beloved members, two men who knew Jesus. And I'm so thankful that I could stand in, in, in front of those who attended and speak of the words of eternal life. When I stood in front of family and friends, I could tell them there is hope. And we know that. This is not the end. This is not all there is. That's why when I, I talk about a believer's death, I often 
use this term, his big day or her big day. That's what it is for that believer that leaves this life and goes to be with Christ. That's their big day. Well, he goes on and further talks about his sheep, and he talks about security. It says this in verse, uh, the end of 28, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Let me tell you about a bad dad moment I had, okay? And I can remember the exact circumstances of this because when I talk about a bad dad moment, it's, it's a time where I think to myself, if I was seeing me do this, I would say, now that's a bad dad, okay? Well, my oldest son, and I'm thankful to say that I, I learned this on him and didn't do it with the others, but my oldest son, we were, um, had been shopping at a Kmart. Um, now, you young people, Kmart... <laughs> it's kind of a Walmart except not that high class, okay? But it was the only place we could afford to shop. And so uh, we, we were in there, and I came out with some kind of a package, and we were walking out the front door and crossing the little road there, and I looked, and cars were far enough away, and I said, Nathan, hold on to me. And we started to walk across, and he was holding on, and of course, what happened was he stumbled and he fell and he was laying flat on the ground. And uh, I saw the cars all stop and stare at the bad dad, okay? Now, I picked him up. He was fine. We got to the car and everything. From then on, when we would walk out of stores, I didn't say, Nathan, hold on to me. I held on to his hand. And then when he would stumble, I would lift him up and, you know, and his legs would, you know, until, until they, they got steady again. And then we would continue on walking. As far as I know, I never uh, uh, lost him again like that. In fact, there were times with the boys when I would actually be holding their collars. They didn't even know it. I was holding their collars. And the only way they would have known it is if they had tried to run or, or fall down. But they, they wouldn't have been able to. You see, that's, God is not the bad dad. He's, he's the dad. He's the father who instead of saying, hold on to me, and if you can hold on, you're not going to fall and stumble, Instead of that, he holds on to us. And then when we stumble, he'll hold on while we're getting our footing again. Or we may not even think he's holding on, but he's holding our collar for our good. 
doesn't always feel that way. But it's always for our good. We, we go on, we see his, uh, Jesus' unequivocal claim to deity. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. Not only is Jesus claiming deity, which, by the way, that should give us further comfort. He's saying, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the same as the Father. We're one. Should not only give us comfort, but understand as well that when it comes to holding on to us, that the Holy Spirit is holding on as well. After Jesus said this, it says, they, they uh, picked up stones again to stone him. You know what that tells me? They knew what he was claiming. There wasn't any doubt. There, there, there wasn't any miscommunication. As we've said all along, if, if he wasn't God, then he deserved to be stoned. That was the right punishment. They understood his claim. Verse 33, then, the, the Jews answered, it's not for the good work that we're going to stone you, but for the blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you're gods? Now where's that? Well, it's probably referring to uh, Psalm 82 where it says, I said you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. And that term is probably applying uh, well, it is applying to those other than God himself. In this case, it was probably applying to human judges. And, and then, then he says in verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, uh, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent to the world you are blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? Now look, I, that's confusing. Or you may feel like that's confusing. Here's what I, I'm, I'm convinced Jesus is, is saying. Look, you, you have no problem when uh, others are being called gods, small g. You don't call that blasphemy. But here I show you the works of God and you refuse to believe. Let's look at some application here. Verse 39. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. So as we've seen in so many scenes... Jesus and his claims and his actions clarify for people where they are with him. And that's what we need to do as well. You know, the, the church in the United States in 2018 is unique in some ways if you compare it to the church around the world. 
And the, the church in 2018 in the United States in the Bible Belt is even more unique. And here's what I mean. It's okay to go to church around here. Now, we all know a lot of people that don't go to church and are unchurched, but, but it's okay. And it's not unusual for somebody early in a conversation getting to know one another. What church you go to? That's not the case around the world. In many places, the pastor doesn't need to worry about uh, people joining their church for the wrong reason. Because people wouldn't. Because it's costly. And it might mean your family will disown you. It might mean they'll have a funeral for you because you are dead to them. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone else's motives are always pure. But just in places where it's dangerous or unpopular to be part of the church, it's easier to tell who the genuine followers are. In Jerusalem, when persecution came, it purified the church. So here's my challenge to us. What's my motive for being here? It still comes down to what Jesus challenged them with. He said, look, look at what I've done. Listen to what I've said. And when people did that, Many believed. So today, ask yourself, whose strength do I want to rely on? Do I want to rely on me holding on to whatever I am trusting in to keep me upright? Or to the one who is willing to hold on to me so intently that no one can snatch me out of his hand. Let's bow together. You were so clear to them and yet some didn't want to hear it. Your word is so clear, Lord. Will you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond? And Lord, for those who, who do believe, thank you that we are secure, wrapped up in your hand so that even if we stumble, you don't let go. Even if we try to pull away, we can't even snatch ourselves out of your hand. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.